If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to uh, turn with me there to uh, Genesis chapter 17, and there's uh, the outline there uh, in your in your bulletin uh, as as well. Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 14. We've been going through the uh, life of Abram, and uh, today we get uh, this passage uh, where God changes his name. But one of the things that we will notice here in this passage is that really there's, there's actually two, uh, two what we're looking at passages today. There's two new names, one for God, one for Abram. Next week we'll look at a, another new name of uh, Sarai, uh, where God changes uh, her name as well. But this understanding of, as we've seen throughout the whole life of Abram uh, up to this point in time, Abram has some very high points in life where he is trusting God, where he is walking in, in obedience to God. And then, as we saw last week, he has some boneheaded times where he just makes a mess of everything. If it's interesting, you have your Bibles open, you'll see uh, the last verse in, in Genesis chapter 16, uh, verse 16, says that Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. The very next verse in verse uh, 17 of verse, uh, uh, chapter 17 of verse 1, we read that Abram was 99 years old. And so for those, those years in between Ishmael and when God appears in chapter 17, you have these, these, uh, uh, these years where Abram is wondering and asking that question, okay, God, you gave me these promises. You cut a covenant with me. I totally screwed up and messed up here. Are you still going to keep your word? And as uh, we see here in these uh, opening verses, this God's new name is one of the verses that he uh, shows, and here is uh, verse 1. God says, I am Almighty God. He has never, God's never referred to him as the Almighty God before this time. In fact, that understanding of who God is as the Almighty God, you know, sometimes we, we use this uh, uh, this phrase, uh, we hear people say this uh, phrase, no, good God Almighty. I want to share with you as we think about who God is and as we think about that name, uh, God Almighty, I want to share with you a, a song that uh, is a, a new song from uh, David Crowder uh, that if you uh, listen to Family Life or Caleb, you, uh, you may have um, heard this song. But the, he, he uses that name of of, of Good God Almighty, kind of a play on words there, and, and, and reminds us of the fact, you know, sometimes we forget, and he actually said, you know, sometimes he has amnesia, that he forgets who God is. This understanding of God being the Almighty, all-powerful, the God of the impossible, the, that we can trust in Him. So listen to uh, the song. Times I've called your name some broken night And you showed up and patched me up like you do every time
You say your love goes on forever, that your mercy never stops. So why would I assume you'll be somebody that you're not? Like sun in the morning, I know you're gonna be there every day. So what on earth could make me be afraid? Good God Almighty. reminder and uh, David Crowder he you know he he's uh, kind of a, if you ever seen him he's uh, um, he's a good songwriter but uh, the first time I saw him uh, in concert I was thinking is that the guy as he he you know big scrawny guy that has like a funky goatee uh, which is uh, uh, exciting but uh, but the understanding of this understanding of who God is you know sometimes we forget and we need and more than ever Especially with everything that we have going on in our world and, and uh, the unrest that we see for sometimes for the first time in our, our world sometimes, we need to be reminded of who God is. And as, as David Crowder said, the, the good God Almighty, that God is that Almighty God, that He is a good God, that He is that loving God, that He is that God of the impossible, that no matter what we're going through in life, and we've testified to that today, no matter what we go through in life, we can turn to Him, trusting Him, believing that He is able and that He can do the impossible. Even Jesus Himself said, you know, asked us, you know, how, how can you do this? And He said, no, with man it's, it's impossible, but with God nothing is impossible. And Abram was at that point. He was uh, 60, 86 years old when when. Uh, Ishmael was born, he totally screwed up on that whole thing. And so he's wondering this question, okay, God, Ishmael's not the child of the promise, uh, and I understand that, but I have Sarai, my, my wife was barren. I mean, she is, uh, at that point in time when Ishmael was born, uh, was 10 years younger, so she's 76 years old. Now, when's the last time you heard of a 76-year-old woman giving birth to a child? 
That's unheard of. And now you have Abram again scratching his head thinking, God, these promises that you gave to me of many descendants of this land, how is it possible? And he comes, uh, God comes to Abram in chapter 17 in verses 1 and 2, and he gives Abram a, a new name of him. And he says this, I am the Almighty God. I am God Almighty. I am God. God is all-powerful, and nothing is impossible for him. That's what that, that name Almighty God or God Almighty is referring to, that God is the all-powerful God, and that nothing is impossible. And so as he comes, as God comes and explains to Abram one more time about this covenant that he has made with him, he says, listen, I'm the Almighty, all-powerful God. You think that Sarai it can't have kids. Well, guess what? She's about ready to have a child. You think, humanly speaking, Sarai, that these promises aren't going to happen. Guess what? I will make sure these promises come true. And I can do it. Because I'm the almighty, all-powerful God. And nothing is impossible for me to do. Every time, and you can uh, look this up, every time this name Almighty God or, or God Almighty is used in, in, the, in the Bible. It is dealing and is referring to something that God says, something that humanly speaking is impossible, but God says, watch and see, I'm about to do something here. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But I'm the Almighty, all-powerful God that can do the impossible. So he explains that to, uh, to Abram here and in verse 1, I am Almighty God. Uh, the reason why it's called a new name is because up to this point in time in Genesis, up to this point in time in the Bible, God has, God has, has not been called or God has not referred to himself as that Almighty God. This is the first time that he's revealed that he is that Almighty, all-powerful God uh, to, to an individual, to Abram. Uh, and then, uh, then he goes on and says, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. The understanding of walking means to live. Live your life before me. Live in obedience to me. And be blameless means just that. God calls Abram to live a life of obedience before him. He says, and God pretty much says, listen, you, you, in the past, you kind of screwed up. And I, and, and that's, you know, it's not okay because you, you disobeyed me. But, but let's just kind of start right now. Start right now, living your life, walking in obedience to me, trusting in me, following me, live blameless before me. And so then God goes on and, and explains what exactly, how, this understanding of this covenant that we saw back in uh, Genesis 15 of, of God cutting this covenant, making this covenant with, with Abram's pretty much saying, listen, these two promises I've given you, they're going to come true. You can count on it. How do I know they're going to come true? Because, because who I am, the, I am a faithful God. I, am, I, I always keep my word. And so then God explains a little bit more about this covenant. That this covenant just isn't for Abram, but it's for his descendants as well. Starting in verse 2. And I will make my covenant between me and you, 
and will multiply you exceedingly. And again, those are some of the languages that we have heard over these past several weeks, that God is going to make Abram into a great nation. The many descendants, look at the dust of the earth. Can you count that? No, that's how many descendants I'm going to make. Can you, can you look at the stars in the sky? Can you count them? No, that's how many descendants I'm going to make of you. You're, I'm going to make you into a great nation, referring to many, many descendants. But then God goes on and says this. Because of what God said in verse 3, he, he, Abram fell down, and, and that's a sign of worship. He begins worshiping God. Verse 4, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. And here all of a sudden now God changes it. God reiterates his covenant with Abram, adding that he will be a father of many nations, plural. Before, God said, you're going to have many descendants. Now, you're going to be the father of many nations, plural. We, we can kind of see as you uh, go throughout the rest of Genesis here in the life of Abram, really you, you see that, that Abram becomes the father of, because he has two sons, uh, Ishmael uh, goes on into becoming a, a great nation. Uh, modern day uh, uh, Arabs uh, will, will point to their descendant as coming from Ishmael. Of course, uh, the child of the promise that we'll see here in the next uh, couple weeks is, is Isaac. And of course, uh, the, the Jewish nation uh, goes through uh, Isaac. And so you have two great nations. You wonder why the Arabs and the Jewish people fight to this day. We'll see that here this, uh, because Ishmael and Isaac fought with each other in the same household as siblings. And so you have this, uh, this uh, two great nations, and God promises Abram that he is going to be a father of many nations, plural. And then because of this, verse 5, he changes Abram's name to the name that we're more familiar with, to Abraham. Verse 5, you no longer shall be called or named Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. And the reason why God changes his name is because you, you have this understanding of, of the, the names in the Bible are so important. They, they mean things. We saw that with Ishmael's name, that, that the, the angel of the Lord comes to Hagar and says, you are to name your child uh, Ishmael. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. Ishmael is referring to, it means, you know, the Lord's heard you. Abraham means a father of many nations. Later on, you have Isaac, that means laughter. And then because of how Abraham and, and, I, and Sarah responded to, to God's promise of, of giving uh, Sarah a, a son, they laughed at God and and God said, you're going to name your son Laughter, uh, Isaac, so that every time you call your son Isaac, you will re be reminded of the fact that you laughed in the face of God and thought that it was impossible for this to happen. Jesus. Why is he called Jesus? Because he's a Savior. And that's what the name Jesus means. And so God changes Abram's name to Abraham. And there's some reasons why God does this. Number one, it's a sign of what's called lordship. The sign of lordship. Meaning that, that 
in the Bible, especially in, in, in the Old Testament, when, when people are given names to things, is a sign that they are over that person. reason why God gave the task of Adam and Eve to, to name creation was as a, as a sign of saying, listen, you are over, you are, you are in control of creation. And every time God changes the name, it's that sign of lordship saying, listen, I am your Lord. You are my master, my servant. I am your Lord. But it also, and, and this goes into the meaning of what Abraham is referring to, the father of many nations, it points to Abram's future. It points to Abram's future or destiny. And it says, God is saying this. It's saying, listen, you were Abram. But because of your faith and your trust in me, because of this covenant that I've made with you, I am changing your life. Because of your faith and trust in me, your life has been changed and you're no longer the same person. In fact, you will become a father of many nations. Therefore, I am changing your your." Your name to point to the fact that your future is going to be changed, your destiny is going to be changed. The biggest person that that happens to is at the end of Genesis with Jacob. God changes his name after he wrestles with God that, that one night. Jacob, when the Bible uses the term Jacob, it means deceiver. And before that point in time, you think about Jacob's life. He deceived many people. He deceived his, his brother out of his birthright. He, he deceived his, his uh, father-in-law. He, he was a deceiver, and he wrestles with God, and God changes his name and says, you're no longer going to be called deceiver. Instead, you're going to be called Israel because of your encounter with me. That's why we call it the 12 tribes of Israel, not the 12 tribes of Jacob. Because of God changing his name. Names mean something in the Bible. And even nowadays, uh, the Jewish people, one of the customs, and, and if you're going through our, our Bible study time in, in Luca, you'll, you'll you remember this uh, on the eighth day, and we'll see how, why some of this, uh, the Jewish nation does this on the eighth day. But on the eighth day, they would go and, and, and get the, 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 the male uh, child circumcised, and they would give the name on that eighth day. Because the idea was for those eight days, the family, the parents would observe the child's behavior and they would pick a name that would be in reflective or, or, or that points to the destiny of that child. So God changes Abram's name to Abraham to point to the fact that God is changing. He becomes the father of many nations. God continues in verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and again, this is, God is explaining, and these are some of these promises that we've heard many, many times. You know, God's going to make Abram into a great nation. He's going to have many, many descendants. I, and here God reiterates that. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you. Again, that plural nations of you. But here God gives a little bit more information, not just nations, many, not just uh, those two nations of Ishmael and Isaac, but he also promises this. Now, those for those uh, who, families who are going through or growing together at home, this is one of those promises that you will be talking about this week. That God promises that kings will come from Abraham. 
And that's why in Matthew, you wonder, you know, sometimes in Matthew, why in the world does Matthew spend so long, and, and you, you'll read some of these passages uh, this week in that program. It's so long in those, those uh, like, why does Matthew spend and, and spend uh, the genealogies of Jesus? And usually, I'm guilty of this, you're going through like numbers, and you, you get to the genealogies, and you're, and you're like, after like three chapters of that, you're like, man, I really don't care who this father is anymore, and you kind of skip that. In Matthew, the whole point is this, that these promises that God gave to Abraham at this point in time came true. That he is a descendant of Abraham, because Jesus is the king of kings. King David is a descendant of Abraham. And God promised that kings would come from him. God continues. Jump down to verse 8. I'll give to you and your descendants after you the land which you are a stranger all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. And so you have this, this, this promise of land is, is then extended to Abram's descendants. The promise of land is then extended to Abram's descendants. And so the promise has always been, and, and back in Genesis 15, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you this land. Genesis 15, listen, I'm going to give you this land, but they're going to spend 400 years uh, away from this land, and I'm going to bring them back. And here, God promises, listen, the people of your descendants will live in the land of Canaan. It will be an everlasting possession. This promise is still true to this day, isn't it? The nation of Israel, descendants of Isaac, to this day, live in that land of Canaan. In the whole Old Testament, if you want to know why, uh, you have Joshua and Judges and Ruth and the rest of the Old Testament. It, it, it all goes based upon these promises that God gave to Abraham. And then the New Testament picks it up, especially Paul in Galatians, of how these promises point ultimately to Jesus. The land of Canaan will be an everlasting possession. The, Lord, the promise of land is to Abram's descendants and the Lord will be their God. And the Lord, Yahweh, will be their God. End of verse 8. And I will be their God. God is coming to Abram and saying, listen, I understand you, you're, you screwed up. I understand that. I understand that you've been asking these questions. You know, are these promises that God gave to me, are they still legit? And God then comes and, and says, listen, this covenant that I made with you is still going to be applied in spite of your disobedience. In fact, I'm going to extend it and I'm going to make, it, make you into a father of many nations through, through Ishmael and through Isaac. And, and I am going to give your descendants this land that I promised you still. I'm going to give you the, this, this land to their descendants. And I will be their God. I am, I am inviting them to come into this relationship that you and I have. I am inviting them to walk in obedience. I will be their God. And then God, and this was tradition of the time, whenever there is a covenant between people, there is always an outward symbol of that covenant. When we started talking about covenants several weeks ago, one of the uh, things that uh, in our culture that is still considered, uh, according to Scripture, is still considered a covenant is, is marriage. And 
an outward symbol of that covenant relationship that a person enters into with their spouse is what? A wedding ring. That's an outward symbol saying to the rest of the world, listen, I made a com commitment to uh, 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 another person that for rich or for poor, for sickness and health, I am committed to them. And that's why people wear wedding rings as an outward symbol of that commitment, of that covenant that they make. And so here you have, we're not going to go into too great detail here, but here we have a, this outward symbol or this outward sign of what this covenant that God has created, what made with, with Abraham and his descendants. And that sign of the covenant was that all males were to be circumcised on the eighth day. The sign of the covenant that all males would be circumcised on the eighth day. So why did uh, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple uh, to, to have him circumcised, to give him the name Jesus on the eighth day? It's because of, of that was part of the Old Testament law that the Jewish people followed. Uh, on the eighth day, the, the males were to be circumcised. It was an outward symbol. Circumcision in, in uh, Abraham's day and age was not new. A lot, in fact, there was a lot of cultures. The Egyptians uh, uh, practiced circumcision, and uh, many other nations did as well. But, but they did it more as a, a sign of, of becoming a man, as a sign of puberty, of becoming, uh, passing from a child into manhood. In fact, uh, the, the uh, uh, Muslims still practice that to this, to this day. The Jewish people, God takes this symbol of symbolism or this, this, uh, this act of circumcision and it gives it a little bit of a different twist for the Jewish people. If you're following in your outline, there was an outward symbol of a person's identity into this covenant relationship with God. It was an outward symbol of saying, yes, I am putting myself under this covenant that God created with Abraham. I am a descendant of Abraham, and I am entering into this covenant relationship with God. And that is what the outward symbol, the sign, circumcision was all about. The outward saying, I am a part of of this covenant relationship that God created with Abraham. The problem that happens throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament is that the Jewish people thought that as long as they were uh, circumcised on the eighth day, as long as they were considered ethnic Jews, that everything between them and God was okay. And this understanding of even physical circumcision did not mean that everything was okay. Yes, it was an outward symbol, just as a wedding ring is an outward symbol. But as an outward symbol, it has that inward reality of, of reminding yourself every day. When, when, I, when I look at my, my wedding ring, I'm reminded of the fact that, that close to uh, um, 20 years, uh, 
20 years ago, Marguerite and I stood together uh, in, in front of witnesses and committed our lives together. And I'm reminded of the fact of that commitment that I made to Marguerite, that for richer, for poor, for sickness and in health, for, for good or bad, we're stuck with each other through all of life's messes. The famous uh, uh, Ruth uh, Graham was interviewed one time uh, with, uh, with Billy Graham, and the person uh, asked uh, Ruth Graham, has divorce ever crossed your mind? And she said, no, because I've committed my life to the goods and the bads of life. I've committed my life to Billy. Now, murder, that's crossed my mind a few times because the death do us part. And so the Jewish people thought, hey, you know what? I'm circumcised. Everything's okay. I'm an ethnic Jew. And they looked down upon those who weren't circumcised, who weren't ethnic Jews. And, and it became this almost this, this understanding of uh, this is where it's all at. Just because I'm born, just because I'm circumcised, just because I'm part of the nation of Israel, I'm, the I'm, a, I'm a child of God, and you all, the rest of the world, God hates. That was the mindset that became. And that's why Jesus over and over and over, even in the New Testament people thought that, and Jesus over and over again said, listen, just because you're Jewish, doesn't make you a child of God. It starts with the heart. A physical symbol, that's all it is. It's an outward symbol. It starts with the heart. In fact, the second point there, this wasn't supposed to just be outward, but also inward. It just wasn't supposed to be, hey, on the eighth day we go through this ritual, we, we get the, the baby circumcised, we name him whatever, he's part of God's, he's part of the nation of Israel, therefore he's part of God's, uh, God's, um, God's children. And of course the, the saying is the same even as believers in Jesus Christ, just because you grew up in the church, just because your families were believers, just because you, you, uh, maybe, uh, had had some Bible time as as kids doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. Just like living in a garage doesn't make you a car. Or eating McDonald's food every single day doesn't make you a hamburger. That outward symbol, that's all it is. It's the inward that counts. Moses says this in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. This is uh, Deuteronomy, in the context of Deuteronomy, as many years uh, later, uh, you have uh, Abraham that uh, lived, uh, Abram, Abraham that lived around 2000 BC. Uh, Moses, the Exodus happened about uh, around 1440 BC. Deuteronomy is about 1400 BC as they're on the verge of ready to enter into the promised land. But because Moses can't, because of his own disobedience to God, because of his, uh, his uh, anger and so forth, his disobedience, God said, you can't go into the promised land either. And so Deuteronomy is all about, as Moses is gathering the people, the nation of Israel, this is a new generation about ready to enter into the promised land, and he explains to them the law a second time. That's what Deuteronomy means. And it's five sermons that Moses has. 
And in Deuteronomy 30, he's explaining to the fact that, listen, when you go into this promised land, yes, God has promised you this land way back in, in Abraham. God has made this covenant with you as he said, it's that God has given you this land as an as a eternal inheritance. But you got to walk in obedience to him. God gave them these blessings and curses that if, if you do this, if you walk in obedience to me, if you are blameless before me, I will bless you. I will make sure that, that no enemy comes against you. I will allow you to live in this land forever. But if you disobey me, then all these curses will happen. And one of those is that I will kick you out of this land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30 is that context. That God, that Moses is explaining to the nation of Israel that if you do not walk in obedience to God as you enter in the promised land, well, guess what? There's going to come a day when God is going to raise up a, a nation and is going to conquer you and going to scatter you all throughout the entire world. Because what it comes down to is this it's not just an outward symbol or outward, we got to follow God's law, it's inward. Verse 6, the Lord, Yahweh, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. In other words, God doesn't really, yes, there's that outward circumcision that says, I am a part of the, the, the family of God. I am a part of the, the Israelites. But ultimately it comes down to that God is going to cut your heart. And this is what God desires. So for you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. It's inward. It's not just outward, it's inward. And so you have in Genesis chapter 17 here, God showing up and having this conversation with Abram, changes his name to Abraham, and says this. Over these past several years, I understand that you're, you're, you're wondering, are these promises, is this covenant that I've made with you years ago, is it still legit? And the answer is yes. It is. And I am actually going to expand that, those promises to your descendants. In this land that I promised you, I'm going to give to your descendants as an everlasting covenant. And in order for you to, to, to show these descendants of yours that you are entering into that relationship with me where you're choosing to walk in obedience to me, then this outward sign of circumcision is going to be followed. But it's the outward sign of an inward commitment in reality that you choose to be in a relationship with me. See, God was inviting Abram's descendants into a relationship with him. God was saying, hey, the same relationship that you and I have, Abram, I want your descendants to have as well. I want them to, to understand that I am their God. And because of this relationship that I'm developing, not just with you, but your descendants, this is what I'm also doing. I am calling them to live in obedience. God was calling them to live in obedience. Abram, God comes to Abram and says, listen, I am the Lord God Almighty. These promises that I gave you, I don't need your help. I'm the Almighty, all-powerful God that I can do it. I can take care of them. And we'll see next week how God plans to do that. But He also says, walk 
before me and be blameless. Obey me. Trust me. Enter into this relationship. Your descendants, I'm calling the same thing. Enter into this relationship with me and walk in obedience to me. Because I want to be their God. God was calling them to live in obedience to Him. God calls us the same. The more I read, especially Jesus' words in the New Testament, the more I realize that just as God came to Abram and said, this is what I want you to do as your descendants, to live a life in pleasing and honoring to me and obedience to me, God calls us as believers in Jesus Christ to do the same. God desires for us in, our, in, in what we do, what we say, our, our thought life, everything about us. God desires for us, just as He calls Abraham, to, God desires for us to walk before Him and be blameless. God desires for us to, to live in such a way that His thoughts become our thoughts. That His desires become our desires. That every moment of every single day, we are living in such a way that, that we are walking and living a life in obedience to Him. There is a, a guy the name the brother Lawrence that that's what he uh, he tried to do he was uh, he wasn't a, a monk but he lived in a monastery and he his desire was that every moment of every day that he would be able to 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 live in obedience to live in the the presence of God as he was going about his his chores he was he was a servant there at at the monastery and he would clean the floors he was he was uh, he would cook for for the monks and as he would would do those things he would constantly think about and thinking I want to do this for the glory of God I want to do this in in obedience to God to the point that he got in his life that those so-called menial tasks that he did every single day like cooking and cleaning and 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 probably the laundry as well when you look at his book and you read his book there's a point in time where he, he hears the bells for the call to worship to go into the chapel. And he says, well, God, I'll be right back. I need to go to the chapel. He lived his life every moment of every day in the obedience, in the presence of God, and walking in obedience to God, that he, in some ways, felt that he was communing with God more in those menial tasks than he did in the corporate worship setting. And that's what the desire that, that God is calling to Abram here and God is calling us to walk a live of life that is blameless before Him. Through the power of God's Spirit, we can't do this on our own. Nation of Israel tried that. They blew it like crazy. But God gives us His Spirit to empower us, to lead us, to guide us. And we got to get so close to God the nearest to that heart of God, that every moment of every day we hear His voice as He leads us and as He guides us. God was calling them to live in obedience to Him. We're going to close in just a, a, a word of prayer. But I do want to just, our final hymn was going to be, Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer. And, and I just want to read that, that first verse. I'll put it up on the screen here. Oh, to be like thee, 
blessed Redeemer. This is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I forfeit all of earth's treasures. Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. That's what God calls us as his children. To be so much like him that we live, that we walk before God, and that we are blameless before him.